Hello and welcome back to the Hackable You podcast, your bi-weekly dose of cybersecurity news and interesting topic of the week and our exclusive segment, Secrets from a Sock. We're back with season two, episode two, and it's been a snowy week in the UK where I was. We had a few inches of snow. I haven't had a snow day in years, enough to go outside and uh, build some snowmen, guys. What did you get up to this week? I only had one hour of snow um, and then it was all gone again. Like London was just like snow and then no snow. I was on my way to Morrison's on my essential journey and um, it all just fell on me. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, snow down in uh, Hampshire was pretty pretty strong. So, um, yeah, it was nice to get out and about, took the dogs out. They, uh, I think that's the first time they've had snow in years. So they kind of went just a bit nuts, really. Um, so it was, it was good fun. And then got woken up by the uh, by the thunder snow at uh, three a.m. or whatever it was. The thunder snow. I honestly, I still don't think this is a real thing. It's a. I'm pretty sure it's a. Um, it's an AC/DC album, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if not, we'll claim it. <laughs> if not, it'll be your next time, right? <laughs> Alex, that really tickled you. Like, it? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, enough of that nonsense. Let's hop into the cybersecurity news for this episode. And first up, shock and horror and awe, another update related to the SolarWinds hack. This time it relates to Malwarebytes who have been targeted by a nation-state actor implicated in the SolarWinds breach. Now, this is the news that an ongoing supply chain attack identified by the SolarWinds Orion detections appears to have connections to a hack on an antivirus vendor called Malwarebytes. A statement by Malwarebytes on their blog states, While Malwarebytes does not use SolarWinds as a vendor, we, like many other companies, were recently targeted by the same threat actor. We can confirm the existence of another intrusion vector that works by abusing applications with privileged access the Microsoft Office 365 and Azure environments. After an extensive investigation, we determined the attacker only gained access to a limited subset of company emails. We found no evidence of unauthorized access or compromise in any of our internal on-premise or production environments. So in summary here, guys, Malwarebytes and most likely other organizations are coming forward after identifying TTPs that are the same or similar as the ones published in association to the SolarWinds hack. I must sound like a broken record here because every week we're saying there's a further discovery to the SolarWinds uh, Orion hack, this time with Malwarebytes. There's other news related to kind of JetBrains, the, the software vendor, and it's just likely to continue. The extent of this supply chain attack seems immeasurable, and it should act as a wake-up call to all security teams and organisations that supply chain and third-party supply management is so, so important. This cyber event is now a resident topic on my weekly briefings, something to talk about every week, um, as there is a lot to understand and a lot to respond to. And I'll be interested to get your thoughts, especially from you, Alex, within that IR role. When it comes to incident response, how do you manage such a widespread ongoing event? Well, when there's so much to be taken in here and so much changing, the most important thing is that you stay up to date. It's really, really important that you know what's happening with the new developments. So be it some new IOCs to go searching for to, to conduct some threat hunting on, or even in the, the case of Malwarebytes, a, a new vendor or a new third party that's been impacted. 
So you really make sure you need to have a, a reliable, up-to-date threat intelligence provider or make sure you're getting your threat intel and your news from a really good source. I think what's really important to consider as well is your comms to your leadership team. So, you know, the leadership's going to be all over this. They're going to be wondering, are we impacted? They're going to be fielding questions from all their stakeholders, internal and external. Uh, and they're going to be coming down to the SOC essentially to get the update. So you need to make sure you have a clear, concise, often non-technical executive summary and updates for your leadership team. I guess one of the benefits of this one is because it's kind of quite high profile in the news and the media, a lot of that is kind of already done for you. So you can you kind of plagiarise it and maybe adapt it to your environment a little bit more. But you're absolutely right. Taking that non-technical side of what is quite clearly a massive event is so important. I, I did want to touch on, and, and probably will come to you here with your threat intelligence hat on, right? You mentioned around having a, a good threat intelligence provider or good threat intelligence sources. How can you trust a threat intelligence source and and will where would you be going to for some resources to get some information on this kind of solar winds uh hack that seems to be ongoing i think the main thing when it comes to trusting threat intelligence is um you know yes use use reputable um sources so you know things like uh alien vault atx and uh threat connect um you know there's 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 loads out there that all you know different vendors and different feeds um, that all kind of um, you know collect that information. Um, but the most important thing really is is never not to necessarily trust just one. You know it's all about it's all about um, getting a I'd say a good mixture um, of feeds um, and. You know, making sure that you're 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 getting as as full full a picture as possible. The the caveat to that is, you know, you have to make sure that the feeds you are getting um, don't or try, you know don't cross over too much. Um, what what you don't want to get is just you know six different replications of the same feed. You know, you, you need to get you 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 need to kind of you know um, get some that kind of um, it's all about giving giving you as much information as possible ultimately. Um, and you know, duplicated information is not useful. Um, they say that um, good threat intelligence is uh, relevant, is accurate, and it is timely. And I think if they're the kind of things that you're have in your mind when you're going after to find those sources, you know, find relevant information that is uh, accurate to the solar intact, that they're reputable sources, and make sure you're kind of getting it hot off the press as soon as you can. Because, like you said, Will, you can easily duplicate feeds because you might get intelligence one day and it takes a couple of other days for another vendor to kind of publish that. You think it's new information, but ultimately it's not. And then you're kind of snowed under in the, the debt that is data and threat intelligence. I'd also say, you know, you have to treat it with a, not with a pinch of salt, but, you know, it's data and, it, and that data is collected. But, you know, um, I think the thing with intelligence is it's not, people, people want intelligence to be black and white. You know, they want it either to be true or not true. And, through my all my years of, of dealing with intelligence and law enforcement, one thing I, you know, I did learn was that it's intelligence is you know it's, it's many shades of grey. You know, it's not always black and white, um, and actually it's quite it's quite rarely that. And sometimes you know it's down to you to to look at the information and um, you know and, and pull together conclusions. And those conclusions may may only ultimately be based off of the best information you have at the time. Um, but that's just the nature of intelligence. 
And next up relates to a UK government scheme providing laptops to vulnerable children during the pandemic that has backfired. Reports claim that the UK Department of Education provided laptops that came loaded with an installed legacy malware known as Gamery.i. Honestly, I don't know how to say this. I'm going to sound like an absolute tit, but we'll just roll with it, right? And we'll put it in the podcast notes. Um, so this malware that's been installed on these loaned laptops or the given out laptops to these vulnerable um, children has been seen making connections to Russian servers. Some exploit, some experts claim that this might be used to download further malware and infections. Now, this particular malware variant, also known as Andromeda, uh, is vast and a dangerous network of infected computers, aka a botnet, that cyber criminals will use to profit. Most of them are from kind of clickbait fraud or, or clickjacking. Um, the majority of evidence and detail for this botnet dates right back to about 2012, 2015, with a, a slight update in 2018. So that's why they're saying it's legacy malware. Uh, back to the story there, right? A source located in Bradford, North England, are responsible for identifying the infected laptops. Uh, and what's even more worrying here is the government have recently sent out more than 800,000 laptops as part of this scheme as it tries to distribute more than a million devices to disadvantaged pupils who might not have access to IT at home. I'm hoping that the government seek urgent support from the likes of the NCSC here. It is likely that laptops were not correctly wiped or rebuilt before they're sent out. However, we don't really know what the story is here. With everything else going on, my security senses sort of tingle. And just to play devil's advocate here, Will, do you think there could be something more malicious going on here? I think for a start, when you say Andromeda, that's also known as Andromeda. Oh yeah, sorry mate, that's (laughs) Andromeda. I've got to pull you up on that one as well. That's Andromeda, mate. Sorry. Back to school for you. We'll, uh, you know, we'll just leave that there. Uh, so, could it be something more? Yes. Um, is that enough? No. Um, <laughs> it could be something more. You know, I think it would be pretty. Um, you know, if it was um, something more than that, it would be a pretty well organised affair. I would say. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think I think. The more likely solution is probably probably the simpler solution um, solution um, in that the fact that the government has had to find eight hundred thousand laptops very very quickly um, you know they haven't they haven't, I doubt they've bought eight hundred thousand laptops um, so I imagine it's a it's a combination of some that are bought and some which are you know um, lying around or something I don't know but I think it's more likely that in their rush to find those laptops as quickly as they have done, um, they probably, you know, ultimately cut cut corners yeah. somewhere. Um, you know, in like you say, whether that be cleaning the laptop or rebuilding the laptops, or you know, the way that they're handled, um, or you know, checking them before they're sent out. I, I can't imagine much much checking was done. Um, so I think it's it's probably more likely to be just a you know the nature of the beast when you know when a, when a understaffed under you know resourced department has been asked to try and source nearly a million laptops overnight. And last up relates to hackers leaking data on 2.28 million users of the dating app Meet Mindful. An article on ZDNet exposes the well-known threat actor Shiny Hunters has leaked the data of more than 2.2 million users registered to the dating site Meet Mindful. 
A 1.2 gigabyte file included real names, email addresses, location details, dating preferences, marital status, birth dates, and bycrypt hashed account passwords, as well as more data, has been leaked. Meet Mindful are yet to confirm the breach. However, this information is likely to be used in a number of phishing and sextortion or other extortion campaigns. Much like the previous Ashley Madison breach, association to dating apps is of intimate value to an end user and unfortunately this could be the reason why targeted extortion campaigns could be successful to a cyber unaware individual. Hackers use emotion as a tool to exploit people. Although the data is yet to be confirmed by Meet Mindful, the reputation of the threat actor and the type of data stolen would suggest it's legitimate. Guys, what would you advise to an impacted individual within this breach? <laughs> Don't do online dating? <laughs> find alternative ways. Well, that's what... I was, I was trying to find a, um, you know, a nicer way of putting that, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that you know the the online dating scene is you know continues to be a target, you know, um, and I don't see much in a way of um, you know sort of security experts who work in that work in those in industries. I don't know about you guys, but you know I know I know well I know you know I've I've got kind of acquaintances with quite a large array of different cybersecurity experts or different types of businesses. But I don't think I've ever met anyone who works in cyber. No, um, that's true. I have never even seen like a job post on LinkedIn for like Tinder or Happen Grindr. or Bumble or anything like that. I mean, yeah, it is interesting. They might all be part of, you know, parent bodies or parent companies, right, that do the security for a number of applications. But you're absolutely right. It, it's a pretty big breach to have all of that information, A, stored in one place and all together. It's almost like... You know, you're kind of handed your your profile as you as a person on paper. Everything they might need to know about you. And unfortunately, with my hacker hat on, I could definitely use that to get something out of somebody who I wanted to. Well, naturally, on on these dating websites, you know, you you naturally yeah, exactly. you contain a lot a lot of personal information on there because of the nature of what they are. And like you say, the reality is, is even even if they had half the amount of data, which is on the average profile, they could. They could probably craft a pretty good phishing, um, you know, spear phishing campaign against you, um, you know. Or even worse, you mm. know, do things in person. If I had found someone, you know, that was interested in, you know, slightly older, ginger, <laughs> bearded, slightly pale podcast host, then will we could just send you into no, a I coffee mean. shop to get their passwords? <laughs> Got. We're in lockdown, lockdown at the moment, but if you can just hold on to after lockdown, then you know. Anyway, that is enough of the cybersecurity news for this week. Let's jump into our topic of the week. And here we are, topic of the week, and it's all around detecting anomalies. When it comes to detection and response, identifying when someone or something is acting out of term or what's considered normal may be the indication of a major security breach. There are a few standard type of detections that you might come across in your career. You'll definitely learn about them when you study the foundations of security. However, detecting anomalies has proven to be one of the most useful. Alex, I think you're going to tell us a little bit more about what this is. Yeah, detecting anomalies, and simply put, is looking for anything that's out of the ordinary. So you're detecting something in your logging where something just isn't right. Something is different to what you would consider 
the normal. So to put a bit of a security context onto this, if we're looking at some authentication logs into your AD accounts, right? If a user is usually authenticating from, from a UK-based IP and they're based in London and that's all the authentication you keep seeing, it's from London. But then one time you see authentication from the Netherlands, just as an example, that's your anomaly. That is different to what the normal is. Um, taking it onto maybe something like DNS traffic, if you're seeing a spike in that traffic, so a larger amount than usual requests to a certain destination, that could be uh, an indication of command and control. And I believe taking it back to the sunburst of solar winds, the anomaly detection is a big part of how this was identified. It was identifying the command and control callouts. So I think in terms of threat hunting with cyber instance, this is really useful when you don't necessarily know what you're looking for. It's in contrast to searching with like indicators of compromise. So if you say, you know, here's a list of malicious IPs, go and search for these. Well, that's good. But what if you're looking for malicious activity where you don't actually have the IP, you don't have any file names or hashes. So what you go to is your anomaly detection and that is looking for changes in behavior. So just taking that back to my earlier example of you know an anomalous login, uh, if you were trying to identify uh, a bad IP uh, or a bad login from, from a, a list of known bad IPs, you'd find it if that bad IP was doing your authentication. But if the authentication was coming from an IP you never knew was bad, then you wouldn't find that via looking for indicators of compromise. You would find it by looking at anomaly detection. So guys, are you fans of this? Ed, I know you are. You mentioned uh, you mentioned last week you love anomaly detection and that sort of machine learning. What's your view on this? So yeah, you're absolutely right. I think anomaly detection is great. It, it, it just goes to show you shouldn't be looking for what's kind of known. You should be looking for what's different. Although there, yes, there are use cases to looking for what's known. What this really makes me think of is that, that there's that, get my words right, there's that philosophical kind of wording or, or theory which is is my green the same as your green which you know the way I see the color green is that exactly the way that you see your color green well you know one really know kind of thing and for me it's like is my detection the same as your detection using that kind of static signature based detection or looking for IOC you're definitely going to find some things for sure but we spoke about way 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 back about hacker infrastructure and serious APTs and, and very capable attackers have mass amounts of infrastructure that span many IP addresses, many locations. And if you're looking for a breach that's the, similar to a, a different company in a different sector in a different location, you might not necessarily be targeted by the same infrastructure. There, and that's why it's so important. Look for the difference and don't look for the same because identifying those differences identifying those outliers is actually a really good starting point to what might be your next security breach so for someone that's listening and um you know they might have been doing some traditional ioc based threat hunting and they want to give anomaly threat hunting a try ed what's your best advice to them how do they start i'm sure there are loads of vendors out there that would love to sponsor the podcast and say yeah choose this uh, choose this vendor and we will uh, we'll do anomaly detection for you and it's all automated and it uses artificial intelligence and all that waffle but uh, <laughs> I mean on a serious note yes there are some great vendors that kind of do that for you I think um, a lot of this relates to data having a seam being you know, having those data lakes that allow you to to troll through those differences I think for organizations that might have quite an open network they allow their servers to connect out to the internet without much restriction 
it, it'll be quite difficult to find out you know what IP addresses are are different or or aren't um, aren't normal or against the baseline. So my tips are firstly collect the data. Secondly, baseline make sure you understand what might be normal, uh, and then look for those differences. Have have triggers that set in place that you know a defined set of rules that says this is normal. Whether that be you know a list of IP addresses that you see a server connecting out to over a three-month period. Whenever that changes, you have a very simple anomaly detection there. Yes, it's not the, the next best thing in machine learning, but it, it, it's very, very simple uh, to understand. And I think it's about working from there. You know, collect the data, understand the baseline, measure the difference. If you're given at a very, very, very simple level, if you want to, you know, plot some authentication traffic on a graph or plot some plot some network traffic, just have a look and just see see where your spikes in your troughs are and see see what's different to your baseline and go for it. You yeah. might find some interesting results. No, that's really true. And that's a, probably a really good place to start, right? Do it with yourself or do it with a user that you know or that you're allowed to test some data against. Find out where they've been logging in from um, and, um, and map it. See what's not normal. Is it normal for your CEO to be logging in from five different countries in two different days? Is it normal for people in finance to log in from Russia or China? And, and simple things like this are really quick wins. Nice one. Thanks, Alex. So, yeah, here we are. Secrets from the sock. Will, why are you holding a magnifying glass up? <laughs> and why are your pants down? <laughs> oh, that's brilliant! That's very quick. For you. Well done, I just stand. Anyway, back to where we were. We're talking about coaching and mentoring, and I will never suggest Will or Alex be your coach or mentor on this. But jokes aside, from secrets from the sock this week, we want to talk about the importance of kind of coaching and mentoring and the differences between them and why it's important. So, um, as you grow in any career. I personally think that it's really important you have someone to learn from, you have someone to bounce ideas from, but also to have someone to guide you through uh, what can be a complex organisation, a complex role. No one expects you to know how to do everything straight away. There's always a first time you're doing something, no matter what role you're doing. Every day's a school day, but there's always someone that's been there before. In most cases, there's someone that's done what you're doing or, or, or something similar that can help guide you. And this is where coaching and mentoring is so, so important. In my eyes, there's a little bit of a difference, right? Coaching is a bit more, it's a bit more formal. Um, it has a bit more structure around it where um, you take someone's goals and someone's objectives and you really put in a plan and a, in place and actions in place that allow them to meet those goals. And you, and you literally, you coach them like a football coach teaches their football team. You take them through those steps and you aid them every step of the way. Whereas in my opinion, mentoring is a little bit different. That's a bit more, less formal. It's a bit more of a sounding board. And it's the, what would you do in this situation type advice? Um, guys, you know, we've, we've gone on different career paths here. We've kind of all we're all within, obviously, the cyber world, but we're all doing slightly different things. And there must have been times where you know, you've had coaching or mentoring or you, or you felt like you've needed it. I'd be really interested to hear any stories you might have where you've benefited from some form of mentor or coach and, and what you think about the whole premise of it as a security individual. So I've been a mentee and a mentor. And I think it's extremely, extremely useful I don't think there's a stage at which anyone gets to a point where they don't need a mentor. 
it's always really, really good to have someone to bounce ideas off and someone to give you a little bit of guidance towards where you want to go in, be that in your personal life or in your career. Someone, as you say, has been there before and they've done it. And there's a way in which they've done that. So if you're struggling for how to do something and you're struggling for where to go, you're feeling at a little bit of a loose end. In my opinion, there's nothing better than just sitting down and just talking it all out with somebody. And, and sometimes even just talking that idea out loud can inspire you to go about something in a certain way. But someone else's experience will also give you a really, really big insight on how to proceed. You know, I mean, I've I've done both. So I've done, uh, you know, I've, I've been a... a a mentor and a mentee, mentoree, rather. Um, not 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 in, not in security and you know in previous previous roles um, in the police, but um, but it's the same. You know, it's the same thing. And and mentoring is much more much more longer term, isn't it? Than than coaching. I always see coaching as a bit of a kind of short term thing. Where yeah, it's like coach you into that next role, coach you into that promotion, coach you into achieving this objective. Yeah, or it, like if you've got. Like within your role, if you've got areas in your role that you are, you know, very specifically weak, weaker in, and a coach, someone coaching you can help you bring you up to speed or you know help you in those areas, then to me it's much more focused. Whereas mentoring is more kind of about self development and kind of long term self development. So I've, you know, I've had a men, I've been a mentoree for you know under someone for, from a, you know, for like a number of years, and it's like a kind of career, you know driven thing whereas um when i've done coaching for other people before it's you know it's more like you know they're, they're coming in and and they've got a problem that they're looking to solve um but both both are invaluable um but they serve different purposes don't they you know, ultimately you know i think mentoring is really good because sometimes in in life you know you guys are younger than me so maybe you haven't quite got there yet but uh you know after being, you know, I spent ten years in a career before I joined Cyber. Ultimately, um, and sometimes you can feel like you are perhaps drifting, you know. And sometimes, for me, men- mentoring helps me kind of focus on the things that were, you know, important and that understanding a little bit of what I wanted as well. If you're wondering which one you need or which one you might want to look into. In my experience, a a mentor is someone that's a lot closer to you. They may support you a lot closer uh, with, uh, you know, they'll have a lot more of their own experience and anecdotes to share with you. Whereas the coach is trying to bring out that next step in you without necessarily guiding you hand in hand. So they would sort of speak to you and and, and ask you what you would do next and try and provoke that critical thinking in, in yourself. Um, so if you want someone that's a little bit closely aligned to you, it could be a more of a support network for you. That's probably more of a mentor, but someone that is going to um, maybe drive your critical thinking and make you uh, think about what you need to do next in a situation would be a coach, in my view. Guys, really great insight, really interesting topic. Us as a group at Hackable, you are always open to supporting anyone that might have questions or queries. Um, so please do get in touch if we can help in any way. But that being said, we are going to wrap up the podcast with a quick dive into our key takeaways for this week. Uh, so, who wants to go first? What is your key takeaway for Season 2, Episode 2? I'm going to go with the topic of the week, which is anomaly detection. Um, that's cheating, that's yours. We'll let you have it, but 100% that's cheating. Well, that's exactly why I can have it, because it's mine. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I want everyone to get out there and give it a go. 
um, spin up some graphs on your seam and have a look at some deviations in behavior and you never know what you might find. Um, I'm going to go with, um, you know, really take the opportunity and consider um, finding, finding yourself a mentor if you if you feel that might be, you know, um, you know up your street. Um, check your workplace, they're quite often, you know, your, most workplaces have them. Um, or, you know, or just approach someone that you know um, and, and ask the question. Um, or, or if you are, you know, confident, then and you feel like you could be someone else's mentor, then then offer it. You know, so try both, depending, you know, depending where you are in your career. And my key takeaway for this week goes back to our talkings of the incident response around solar winds, and it's learn how to take something that's technical uh, and uh, very in depth and in the mainstream media, and learn to apply it to your organisation. That shows how you're going to respond to such a wide-scale event like the SolarWinds Orion hack. So here we are, end of the podcast. It's been a great one. We want to thank you for listening and we will catch you all in the next episode. Bye.